So have you ever been in the house when the power goes off at night? So you get up and you look outside and you notice that all the houses in the neighborhood are also dark. So what you need to do then is you need to go find your flashlights. You rummage around and you're trying to find your flashlights. You find your flashlights and of course they don't work, right? Because the batteries are dead. And isn't that exactly what happens when you go find a flashlight and you try to turn it on? They're always dead. I have a maxim in life. It's something that I live by. If you want to find the dead and corroded batteries, go find your flashlight and open it. You'll find them in there. So what you have to do then is you have to go down into the basement where it's really dark, and you're walking around like this, and you're trying not to walk into anything, you're trying to protect your shins, you know, walking into some kind of little table or into the weight bench or a file cabinet, you're rummaging around, and then the power suddenly comes back on, and all of a sudden the lights go on, and everything now you can see, you, everything is very clear, no more stumbling around in the dark, you can stand up straight and you can just do your walking, because you can see reality. And what light is to the physical realm, Jesus is to the spiritual realm. If you brought your Bible, please turn to the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to focus in on one verse, John 8, verse 12. We are in a three, we're in week three of a four-part series that we're doing on the I am statements of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. And in these I am statements, Jesus communicates truth about who he is. He communicates truth about what he came here for, who he is for us. There are seven I am statements in the gospel, and all of them teach us something really important, really profound about Jesus. And two weeks ago, we looked at two of the I am statements. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And last week we looked at, I am the bread of life. So this morning we're going to look at the second of Jesus' I am statements, I am the light of the world. And if you like to take notes, you're a note taker, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin if you're interested in that. So light and darkness are common themes in the scriptures. And they're common themes in the Gospel of John. And in general... When the Bible uses the word light, depending on the context, it can mean a few things. It either means truth or knowledge or understanding, or it means holiness and moral purity, or it means salvation and eternal life. So you see truth, holiness, and salvation, depending on the context. And darkness in the scriptures, depending on the context, means ignorance, unbelief, Error, moral confusion, and sin. And John makes a statement about God in, in that very powerful prologue in his gospel in John chapter 1. He says, of, um, no, this is in 1 John 1, 5. We'll get to the prologue in a minute. In 1 John, in his epistle, he says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And which also sheds light on Jesus, because Jesus being God the Son also 
In him there is no darkness at all. So let's read John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I tried fairly hard this week to come up with a very clever outline for this passage, um, but Jesus is way more clever than I could ever be. And so we're just going to look at the verse and its parts, and we're just going to take them as they come the way Jesus spoke them. So the first point we need to see in this text is what Jesus declared about himself. Number one, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. The verse says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. And the verse starts with the word again. So what does that tell us? That tells us that he had been speaking before, and he's now continuing what he had been speaking. So what does that connect to? If you look at chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, Jesus speaks. And in our text for today, he continues to speak. It was the same occasion. And the occasion was the annual Feast of Tabernacles. There are seven feasts in the Jewish calendar in the Old Testament. You see seven Old Testament feasts. And this one, the Feast of Tabernacles, was one of the three feasts that required the people to come back to Jerusalem. And chapter 7, verse 37 says that Jesus spoke on the last day of this seven-day feast. So thousands or tens of thousands of people from all over Israel would descend on Jerusalem, and they would gather together, and there would be a lot of energy in the city, and people would rekindle relationships and friendships and family, gathering together and talking together, and they were, there was a lot of discussion about this Jesus. Jesus was making some pretty spectacular claims for himself. He was doing some pretty spectacular miracles among the people. He was a a controversial figure, and people had opinions about this Jesus. They They were divided over who they thought he was. Not unlike today, right? The statement Jesus makes here is profound, and it's shocking on its own. But it's even more powerful, it's even more significant if you understand the context and the history leading up to this statement. In verse 20, Jesus says, it says that Jesus spoke in the treasury of the temple courts, which could mean that he was either inside or outside or near the treasury, which was located outside the temple in the the court of the women. The Feast of Tabernacles was also called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Ingathering, depending where you look in the Old Testament, the ingathering of the produce at the time of the harvest, also called Sukkot. And it occurred in September-October time frame each year, and it lasted seven days. And there were sacrifices, special sacrifices that were done during this feast. And the people were to gather, when they got into Jerusalem, they were supposed to gather leafy branches like palm branches or other leafy trees like willow trees or or olive branches. And they would take these branches and they would construct these booths or tents. And they were to live inside these booths for the seven days during this feast. And it was to symbolize or, or commemorate the exodus 
where the people were, had been delivered by God and Moses was leading them through the wilderness for 40 years and they lived in these booths or tents all along the way. And there were two main ceremonies that took place during this feast. Each morning there was a water drawing, water drawing, which it's easier for you to say, right? Easy. Water drawing ritual. Where the priest would draw a pitcher of water out of the pool of Siloam. And he would take this pitcher and he would pour it out at the altar. The water symbolized the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in a time that was to come. And on the last day of this feast, in the outer court of the temple, in the midst of a crowd, Jesus makes a startling declaration. And he connects this ceremony with himself. Chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus makes this incredible statement in this, during this feast. And that probably sounded familiar to you since Jesus made almost the same declaration when he was talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. He made almost the same statement. The second ritual that took place each afternoon of the feast was called the illumination of the temple. It took place in the court of women, which is this outer court of the temple, and they lit these four huge oil-lit lamps four of them in this t temple court. There were these, one source I said I read said they were 75 feet tall candelabras. There were these huge oil-fed lamps. And it was to remind the people of the pillar of fire that guided the people of Israel in the wilderness journey. You remember the story in Exodus chapter 13 and other places you see it where God was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when the pillar moved, they moved. The pillar of fire was a manifestation of God, a visible confirmation of God's presence with them, always lighting their way and guiding them and leading them in the way that they should go. And the light from these huge four lamps in the temple court could be seen all around the city, The festival was an annual reminder that God had promised to send a light, the light, into a world of darkness. Year by year, they did these rituals, looking forward to this light, this divine Messiah who would come. And they knew the prophecies. Isaiah 9-2, 400 years prior to this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then later in chapter 42, Isaiah writes this. He says, Thus says God the Lord, I am the Lord. I will give you a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 49, 6, God says, I will make you, the coming Messiah, as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
This light that was to come is going to bring salvation to the nations, to the world. And it's in this context, during this feast, where Jesus stands in this court of women and calls out, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm the one you've been looking for. The coming light is now here. I am he. I am the one who brings light of truth and the light of life. Jesus is making an absolutely astounding and audacious claim for himself. He was claiming to be the Messiah. Here's a man that many of them probably knew. Standing in front of them, a carpenter by trade, looking them in the eyes and making this incredibly bold claim for himself. Identifying himself as the Messiah. And it would have sounded not only outrageous to the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests and the religious leaders, but it would have sounded blasphemous. It was an enormous statement he just made. And he doesn't just claim to bring enlightenment, he doesn't claim to bring wisdom like some modern prophet. He was claiming to be the light. And many of them didn't buy it. They argued with him. That's a pretty bold statement you made just there. Who are you to make such a statement? You read about that in the following verses in chapter 8. But people can argue, but they can't defeat the truth. It was true. John 1.4, back in John chapter 1, It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's another principle to see in this. Jesus says he is the light of the world. He didn't just come to bring the light to the Jews or to just one or two groups of people. He came to bring the light to the world. He is the light of the world. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, John says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, every kind of person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, the light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. What better news for the entire world than the light of God has come? What better news is that? He's bringing the light of life and the light of salvation, the light of truth. And it's available to you. It's available to your friends. It's available to your family, to anyone in your community, to every nation. Jesus calls you and I in the Great Commission to proclaim this light, proclaim that the light of the world has come. But when we bring that light of truth, the light of life, when we proclaim that message, does everyone embrace it? Does everyone immediately receive it with gratitude and joy? Sadly, no. And we've seen that, haven't we? 
Look at the next verse in John 1.10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What's going on? Why doesn't everyone gladly receive the light of truth and life and salvation? It's the best news you can hear in your whole life. Jesus tells us why. In John chapter 3, 19 to 21, Jesus says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's what the light does. It exposes what's in the darkness. And people don't like to have the darkness exposed in their lives. It's a seriously sad commentary on the human condition. People love and they cling to their sin. They love the things that are killing them and that are enslaving them. Pastor and author John MacArthur said this, One would think that sinners hopelessly lost in the darkness would flock to the light. Yet in a strange paradox, people love the very darkness that ensnares them. Like a dying man who cherishes, cherishes his deadly disease, they cherish the sin that produces spiritual and eternal death. The Bible says sin is deceitful. And many associate Jesus with stale, dour, stuffy, boring religion. It's a lie right from the devil. And if you're a Christian, you know that's far from the truth, don't you? There's love and grace and joy and fellowship and beauty and glory in Christ. Amen? We need our eyes opened. And many do come to the light. God breaks through the darkness in their hearts and opens their eyes to the truth and saves many. Thank God. And he saved many in this room. Jesus is the light of the world. The second truth we need to see in this text is that Jesus calls out to you to follow him. Number two, whoever follows him. Jesus makes two promises in this verse, two promises that are related to each other, but he ties them to one condition. Whoever follows me. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. To have these promises, you need to meet the condition. So we need to ask ourselves this important question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Lots of people followed Jesus, didn't they? Crowds of people 
Literally thousands and even tens of thousands of people followed Jesus. And when Jesus got up and moved and went somewhere else, they got up and moved and went out to find him. Crowds of people followed Jesus. They followed him everywhere. They knew he had some kind of light, that he spoke like no one else spoke. He did things that no one else could do, and they were fascinated by Jesus. So they followed him around. It's interesting, even in chapter 7, verse 32, it says there were officers who were sent to arrest Jesus. And they ended up not arresting him. Why? Well, for one thing, they said, no one ever spoke like this man. Is that what Jesus means by following him? He doesn't call us to follow him like we follow the guardians or the calves or the browns. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is a full-on devotion to him, a full-on devotion to his word, the scriptures. It means to follow him as Lord and King, to place Jesus at the center of everything in your life. Jesus told us what it looks like, what it means to follow him. It means dying to yourself and clothing yourself with Christ. Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? To follow Jesus means to die to your self-will and embracing God's will, no matter what the cost. But there's huge blessing in that. God's will and God's truth is far better than our own. Anything we could come up with on this planet is inferior to what God has for us. And God blesses you in countless ways along the way, as you all know. Following Jesus means following his word, abiding in his word, and following this light in his word sets us free from sin and error and confusion. In his word, we see light. John says later in verses 31 to 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You're my followers. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And God knows your sacrifice. He knows your labors for him as a follower of Christ. And there's eternal reward for you that awaits you. In Luke 18, Peter says, See, Jesus, we have left our homes and followed you. It's such a big sacrifice, Jesus. Look what we did for you. And Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God and will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. There's huge blessing in following Jesus. 
Whoever follows me, number three, will not walk in darkness. Number three, will not walk in darkness. What does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Number one, you will not walk in the darkness of deep and persistent sin like you once did. When he says, will not walk in darkness, when the Bible talks about walking, it's talking about a pattern of your life. This is how you walk through your life. So the pattern of your life will be righteousness and honoring God and seeking to glorify him, not enslavement to sin like it once was. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He's delivered us from that whole domain of walking in darkness in our lives. He's given us power over slavery to sin through his Holy Spirit and through his word and through fellowship and and the means of grace. So though you face temptation and sin at points in time, you will. He's given you power to resist and overcome it. You won't live and walk in darkness in Christ if you follow him. The second thing it means is you will not walk in the darkness of ignorance and confusion, but you will have the light of truth. It's kind of startling to think about all the people that you see through your daily life. People that you encounter, people that are driving around all around like you are, buying groceries. But many of them have no idea the answers to the very basic questions of life. Apart from God, we don't have the answers to the big why questions. We may have answers to a lot of the what questions and maybe how questions through the sciences, through observation, and so on. But the big why questions remain completely unanswered. We are in the dark until we know the light of the world. They have no idea why they're here, why they exist, why there's something and not nothing, why there's this beautiful creation and not just empty space, what life is all about, what our purpose is here on earth. What is our purpose? Why? Why? It's interesting that the next miracle Jesus performs in chapter 9 is to heal a man who was blind from birth. He heals the man, and suddenly he can see. Have you ever seen any of those videos where somebody who was either born blind from birth or they're almost completely blind, and they, they grew up that way, and they never actually saw their mother or their father or their siblings? And sometimes you see them, they grew up, and they got married, and they had children, and they lived their life together and it was wonderful in many ways but they just they kissed their face faces and they just never saw their faces and then they put on this high tech goggles contraption have you ever seen these and suddenly they can see 
and, and they look around and they're looking around at everything. And then they zero in on their spouse's face. They can see their spouse, their wife. They can see their children. And all of a sudden the tears just start coming. A smile a mile wide. They can see. You almost can't watch those videos without crying. I can't almost talk about it without crying. But even if you cannot physically see with your eyes, Jesus came as the light. He came to dispel the darkness of ignorance. He, to open your spiritual eyes so you can see the light, so you can see the truth, so you can see ultimate reality. Suddenly you have answers to so many of the big why questions. Why am I here? Answered. Why is there something and not nothing? Answered. What is my purpose in life? Answered. What life really is and what God is really doing in the world. When you meet Jesus, he turns on the light and suddenly you can see. So much ignorance and confusion is gone. I remember so clearly after the Lord opened my eyes and saved my soul, it was July 2nd, 1981. And July 3rd, it was a Friday, I went to a Christian bookstore to buy a Bible. And I remember going in that store and I'm thinking, there's a wall of Bibles. And I'm like, what Bible do I buy? I had no idea what translation, what kind of features to look for, any of that. So I took the recommendation of a guy that was standing there, bought a Bible, and I went home. And I remember very clearly just starting to read that Bible and just amazed and excited about what I was reading there, what I was learning there. It just resonated with my soul. God had opened my eyes to the world, to his will, to his nature, to his big redemptive plans. I could see. God shines the light of truth and reality in the scriptures. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And if we follow Jesus, if we keep ourselves in the scriptures, it will keep us from slipping back into the darkness of sin. But that's not automatic. Growing in holiness doesn't just happen. Our flesh faces temptation, and the devil is a schemer and a deceiver. God works through his spirit and his word, and we work as we walk in obedience. God gives us the enabling grace through his spirit to establish a new pattern of living, a new way of life, a new spiritual walk. And the Apostle Paul exhorts us to throw off the remaining darkness. Because there is some remaining darkness in your life. And walk in the light. He says in Romans 13, 12, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and walk in the light. Walk in the light. He says in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8, he said, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
That's the exhortation to all of us. Walk as children of light now. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Allow the word of God, allow God's spirit to expose them and convict you of sin and bring you into the light. It's all part of following Jesus. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And number four, but will have the light of life. There's a fascinating connection between light and life in John. We see in, back again in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, John says, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. And he's not saying that Jesus was alive. Of course he was alive. He's saying that in Jesus was the life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Spiritual life. As opposed to spiritual death. If you want life, you find it in Jesus. Well, how do you get this life? How do you get it? Jesus told us how. He says in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Whoever believes in me. Over and over in John, Jesus tells you, you get this life, you get eternal life, you get forgiveness, you get an abundant life by faith, by faith alone. He says, believe in me, come to me. Trust me. But what are we trusting in? What specifically, Jesus, are we trusting in? What are we believing? This is not a nebulous kind of faith thing. I have faith. Faith in what? The central reason that God sent his son into the world as the light of life was to do all that was necessary to purchase your salvation. That's why he came. And every human being's biggest problem, including yours and mine, is the problem of sin. And all of us have violated God's moral commands. We violated our own consciences. And the Bible says that it's, we are separated from God. And we are, and judgment is waiting us. Jesus lived the sin, sinless life that you could never live in perfect obedience to God and God's moral law. And he went to a cross and died your death and absorbed your judgment for you in your place. Jesus says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe in me, Jesus says. Trust in me and what I have done for you on the cross for your forgiveness and for your salvation. Trust in me. Stake your eternity on me. If you want to have the light that Jesus offers, then you must have the life that Jesus provides. The life. Eternal life. 
So following Jesus begins with trusting in Jesus for eternal life and becoming a disciple of his. And you'll have the light of life and you'll not walk in darkness. There were three kinds of reactions to Jesus in the rest of chapter 8, as there usually are three general kinds of reactions to Jesus. In verse 13, the first reaction is rejection. The Pharisees and the priests and the religious leaders didn't buy Jesus' claims. Your testimony is not true, Jesus. I am not buying it. Rejection. Where do you see yourself in these three reactions? The second one is openness. Verse 25, some of the Jews were open to hearing more. Who are you? I'm willing to listen, but I need to hear, I need to hear more. Openness. In verse 30, belief. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So how about you? What is your reaction? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is your reaction to Jesus? If you want to have the light that Jesus offers, then you must have the life that Jesus provides. Right from the beginning, God is associated with light. In the creation account, God creates light. Genesis chapter 1, he spoke the word. Let there be light, and there was light. And then, at the right time, he sent his divine son, Jesus, to be the light of life, the light of truth, into the world. He's offering this to us now. And in the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus will literally be the light of the world. Fascinating. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about that day hundreds of years ago. Isaiah 60, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun will no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. The ultimate fulfillment of the light. He's literally going to be light for us. You see that in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb, who is Jesus. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What's your reaction to this Jesus? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your only Son 
to be the light of life, to bring the light of life, to dispel the darkness, not only in the world around us, but in our own hearts. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would draw those who don't know you. Shine the light of truth in their hearts, I pray. Illuminate it so that they understand that it's true. Transform hearts, I pray, even this morning. May they come to you by faith and believe in you and trust in you and what you have done for them on the cross. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through our days as believers in Christ, that you would keep our faces in the scriptures. That you would continue to shine the light into our hearts, that we may walk by faith and walk in righteousness for your glory, for your honor. Use us, Lord Jesus, to shine the light of the gospel to those around us that need to desperately hear it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.